Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Tim Parkin. Tim is the president and global marketing advisor of Parkin Consulting, and he helps fine-tune high-performance marketing teams to achieve massive growth for organizations. With over 20 years of experience leveraging the power of combined psychology and technology, Tim has helped brands and agencies around the world gain rapid and dramatic growth. He is a trusted advisor to high-level marketing executives, as well as the host of Marketing Leaders podcast, and a regular contributor to Adweek, Forbes, TechCrunch, and so many others. In his free time, Tim is a professional-level magician, where I am sure he can personally attest that performance result is all in the delivery of the message. Today, Tim and I are going to be chatting about the best ways for companies to get bigger, better, and faster results by supporting and enabling their marketing teams. We'll learn what works from Tim's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Tim, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Stacy, thanks so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I am delighted because there is nothing that I want to learn more than how to get bigger, better, faster within our organization to scale. And I have a feeling our listeners also share that same sentiment. So thank you so much for coming today. To start, how did you get here to today? Now, you and I were talking a little earlier, and this was not the path that you originally planned on. I never thought I'd be here. That's for sure. Yes. As a young child, I thought I wanted to be a professional magician, as you said in my bio. And so I pursued magic and became quite good at it. You know, in college, that's how I survived as an introvert. I would have huge crowds around me doing magic. And I thought this would be wonderful as a career. The problem is, if you're a professional magician, you work nights and weekends. That's when everyone has parties and dinner. So I said, that's not for me. And from there, I got into programming, another one of my passions. I love technology and programming. But again, I pursued video game development, which, you know, you work 80 hours a week building these expensive high stakes games. And I said, that's not for me either. So I was fortunate to stumble into realizing that the companies I was helping develop software for didn't have a product problem. Like they were building cool stuff, but no one wanted it. No one cared. And that's what I realized they had a marketing problem. So that got me interested in marketing. And from there, I combined technology, which is marketing today is synonymous with technology and magic, which marketing has so many parallels with magic. You know, it's about telling a story. It's about involving the user, the customer. It's about understanding how people think and act and what they'll respond to. And so combining technology and magic, and here I am now uh, in marketing. And it's wonderful. I love it. That's awesome. I don't think that many marketers can say they had quite the same path. Absolutely not. It's very unique. So when you get started working with an individual organization, what's the first step that you do? How do you go about uncovering the mayhem that you're about to see that exists or does not exist within their planning and technology and marketing and software systems and, and more. It always exists. <laughs> the mayhem is there waiting to be found. And I'm sure the listeners know that. Yeah, I'm fortunate because I'm a consultant. I'm an individual. I don't have a company or anything like that. And so when I come into an organization, I get to talk to everybody. And that's how I start is I ask people questions and I talk to them. And because I'm an outsider, people want to share their story. They want to share their experience. You know, they think and know, rightfully so, that I can help them if they 
express the things that perhaps I haven't said before. So I learn all sorts of things in my initial conversations with people about, you know, where they think the problems are, right? It's not necessarily true. <laughs> Perception is not reality, but I get to hear from all the sides, you know, from the executive leadership team down to the frontline, you know, employees who are running the show, uh, what's happening, what's not happening. And essentially there's what I've found three criteria that define a high performance team, people, process, and alignment. And it's in those conversations that I can discover which of the three, sometimes many, are the biggest issues. So sometimes it's all three. Sometimes it's just one. Sometimes it's two of the three, I'm assuming. Always, yes. Some combination and, there. And it's probably easiest to fix the processes uh, versus the people. Very astute, Stacey. You're absolutely right. Process is, ironically enough, one of the biggest gaps I find in marketing teams is that a lot of people think marketing is creative and it's actually much more of a process than we realize. Now, there's certainly creativity in marketing, but process is a big part of it. If you don't have a repeatable, consistent process, you can't deliver on what marketing is intended to do. So process is always where we start because to your point, it's the easiest, it's the most apparent, and it's almost always the lacking aspect of the team. What are the basics to the processes that pretty much every organization needs to have? It does depend on the organization, but I'll tell you, there's two aspects to process that we need to think about. You know, the first is you have to have a process, right? You have to define what it is you're doing. And uh, Demings has a quote, Edward Demings, that if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, then you don't know what you're doing. And that could not be more true, you know, especially this is uh, irrespective of marketing teams, but in marketing teams, if you're talking about how you produce content or uh, how you create a landing page or how you do customer research, whatever it is, if you can't describe that as a process and if it's not defined and documented or written down somewhere, then you're going to have issues. And maybe you have someone on the team who's been there for 10 years who knows how those things happen, but that's not acceptable because nowadays with the great resignation, people are leaving you know, and, and changing jobs and that information will leave with them. So it's really imperative that the first step of process is figuring out what do we do and how do we do it? And let's write that down. And if you don't, that person who has been there for 10 years, their head is pretty much on exorcism mode right now. And it's just like rotating over and over and over and over while they're sitting here trying to figure out how to download everyone else on what to do. And then there's a lot of cursing. I can tell Absolutely. you Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> from personal experience, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. I, from personal experience, from client experience, from everything that I hear from everyone right now. Yes. If you do not have processes right now, especially as you nailed it on the head with a great resignation, it is a problem for companies yes, at the moment. It really is. There's so many things we don't think about, to your point, that are a process, you know, and the cross-collaboration that's necessary of marketing with other departments of marketing internally with the teams inside of the marketing organization. There's so much that happens and every little detail we need to think through and write down. And so the first step is defining it, but then the second step is measuring it. And that's where you put in benchmarks, you put in SLAs and OLAs to say, how fast will you get this back to me? When can I expect this to be done? What does success look like? Because once you can start to measure the process, once it's been defined, then you can start to improve the process. And that's really where a lot of wins come in, but initially, so many teams are just missing you know, process altogether that defining it is the best place to start. And so defining it being the first step. So you sit there, you get the stakeholders together, you pull out your pieces of paper or some sort of shareable dashboard now that everyone can stare at their screens and write together on. You download and you think what your processes are. What do you do then? Yeah, once you have everybody together and you've talked through, you know, what happens today and you write that down, then you want to look at that and ask a couple of questions. You know, the first of which is, 
what's happening that shouldn't happen? You know, what can we eliminate from this process? Because there are some things that, you know, you're probably doing just because you've always done it or you thought it would be helpful and it's just not adding value. So get rid of that stuff. Simplify. We have to simplify as much as possible. The second thing is to think through the dependencies. Who needs to be involved with this that's not? Or what assumptions are we making about who is involved or who's not? Because if you don't have the right people in the room and they don't agree on the process, you know, hit some issues there. And then again, as I mentioned, the third is how can we change this or improve it to be better? You know, what steps can we move around? How can we parallelize things? There's a lot of process optimization, you know, jargon we can talk through, but essentially it's how can we make this better? You know, what would make this easier and simpler and faster and better for everybody? Are there any software tools or like your go-tos that you like using the most in all of this? I'm a huge fan of Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N, Notion.com. It's kind of amalgamation, if you will, of like Basecamp meets Trello meets Google Docs. Absolutely amazing. Free to start. I use it with all my clients, but it's a great place because you can store lots of information. You can organize it. There's boards and databases and tables and formula, all sorts of things. So it really grows and scales with the team and your complexity, but it's a great place to store information, track all this and to document and review and manage processes. Awesome. Okay. So you have the team together. They're on the same page. You've defined the processes that things don't exist as far as processes (laughs) that are written (laughs) down at least. And you're getting them into some place in some format. What do you do after that? Yeah. The next step, probably at that point is typically to look at the people or the alignment. And I'll come back to alignment because alignment is the most important part, but it's also the most challenging part. But people is a big aspect that we don't realize. We often think that if we just have the right people, that that's sufficient, but we need to have the right people and continue to develop those people, especially now, as we talked about with the great resignation. So people need two things. They need to have skills and they need to have support. So obviously skills is pretty clear. I think that you need to make sure they have the right skills to do their job, but also you want to keep developing those skills. You know, the one thing marketing does is change and you have to keep up to date on all the latest changes and developments in marketing. So having skills is not enough. Uh, Continuing to grow and develop those skills is really important. And the second aspect is support. Your team has to know that if they have an issue, if they see a problem, if they think of an idea or an opportunity, that there's support, that they're supported to pursue those opportunities, to raise those issues, to have those tough conversations, and also to coach your team, to help them to develop as people, as leaders, as managers, et cetera. So people is not just hiring enough people and having the right people. It's also about continuing to develop and grow your people so they can work better together, collaborate more effectively, and just do a better job. I'd say with all of that, if you're looking for people that you are going to invest in and grow, and that you're hoping they're going to invest in themselves and grow. The third little cog to that is making sure you have people who actually want that position, because that has always been an eye opener to me. If you're like, come on, you can do it. You have the capability, you know how to do it. And then they're like, no, I don't want to do it. Yep. Uh, that's a great point, Stacey. Yeah. You know, the old expression is you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. And I think you're absolutely spot on there that if people aren't passionate about what they're doing, uh, they're not going to do a good job. And regardless of anything else, and you know, to your point, I think the best people to hire are influencers or customers. You know, I mentioned previously one of my clients is a, a pet company. You know, they all, <laughs> no pun intended, they all eat their own dog food. You know, they all use the products that the company makes because they all have pets. Those are the exact right people to hire because they understand the customer because they are the customer and they're passionate about the company because they are a customer of the company. So it's really important. I think passion, as you underscored, is a key element to what makes a good employee. 
Yeah, I tell our team and I have over the years all the time, it's always getting to the point where if someone's, you know, needs a little like a, a push towards an exit door is the conversation of I can give you everything, but I cannot give you passion or drive. Those are the two things you have to bring yourself to the table. And I think that's where a lot of not just marketers, but business owners get very frustrated in life because their people don't necessarily have that. And it could just be wrong, but wrong seat type of scenario. Absolutely. I think you're so right about that. And I've seen personally so many times one bad apple spoils the bunch and there's some people who are just not passionate or just plain toxic, you know, and, and that kills morale. It kills productivity, drains the energy from the team. And you're right. Yeah. A push or a shove or whatever you need to do to get them out of the picture. You know, if, if they're harming the team, if they're holding you back, then you need to find someone who can be more uh, passionate and more enthusiastic and just a, a believer, right. And seeing the vision, seeing the mission and wanting to take that journey with the company. But let's assume that, this fictional company that you're talking with right now has right butts, right seats, has people with passion and drive. They want to do this. They are, you know, eating the dog food. They are celebrating. What is the next step? What do you do then after all of the brainstorming has gone down onto digital form? Yeah, there's a couple of directions that we typically go, but you know, everybody can improve. So even if your team is, is in sync and you have the right people and they have the right skills, everyone can improve. So part of that is making sure you have professional development plans in place. The other part is getting your people external support to have fresh ideas. But the other is, is listening to your people, frankly, that, you know, uh, we talk about accelerating digital performance, at least, you know, testing and optimization is a huge aspect of this. And your team has lots of ideas about how to improve your processes, how to improve your marketing. And oftentimes we don't give them the opportunity to express those, to have an avenue for those that's conductive, that's, that's useful, that's productive. And so uh, letting your team have that outlet to raise ideas and take ideas from them is a wonderful thing to do with your team if you've gotten to that point. And even before, frankly, you've gotten to that point. And there's other avenues to collect ideas you know, from customer support, from your customers directly. If you have a customer research team, there's so many ways to get ideas, but your people are valuable beyond just what they do. They're valuable in the insights and the ideas they can contribute. And oftentimes we forget that aspect of it. Also in like sales positions, they're frontline. They're seeing where things are just not moving and where they're getting frustrated and wishing that they could change X, Y, or Z. And having them enabled to actually make those changes is going to result in a lot more sales stemming off of those X, Ys, and Zs. Absolutely. Well, then if I may, let's talk about the other part here that you're, that you're leading to, which is alignment. You know, How do you connect all these dots together? People and process are only half of the equation. Alignment you know, among the people and the process is so important. And this is a big struggle, a huge challenge, but it's paramount that you get this right. And it has to do with having a clear vision, like you were talking about before with the passionate employees. Where are we headed? What are we trying to do in the market, in the world? Why do we exist? And you have to have people who understand that. And you have to communicate that constantly to your team. You know, this is what marketing is trying to do. This is what the company is trying to do. And the other, though, is you need to have shared goals, the goals that people are really bought into and you hold accountable to. And I like to use OKRs for this, objectives and key results as a framework. But people have to have goals that they can align to. You know, how do we operate? What are we doing? How will we hold ourselves to account? That alignment process is so key. And if you have great people and they're all, you know, highly skilled and proficient and enthusiastic and passionate, and you have solid processes, but they, they can't coalesce in alignment, then you're still going to be in trouble. And so how do you do this? What's the best way of getting those in place? 
Unfortunately, there's not an easy answer. I wish there was a one, two, three, you could just walk people through and, and have alignment. But alignment, you know, is more of a change management initiative than anything else. It has to do with people. And so you have to get people to understand things. And I think you raised earlier, sometimes that means you have the wrong people and alignment can help underscore that, that we need to make a change here. Another aspect typically can be restructuring, at least the marketing organization. How are we operating and is it effective? And if not, how do we change how we're operating to align divisions or teams much better? The other aspect though, as well, as I mentioned, is OKRs. And OKRs are wonderful, I think, because they can be nested. So you can have an OKR that breaks down to you know, sub OKRs, et cetera. Um, but also you can have them on the functional level you know, for different teams, but then on a personal individual level, so if you want to keep developing your people and make sure that they're all aligned, you know, your objectives at the top can then be broken down into sub-objectives that, you know, the teams can work on. And those objectives can be broken down to individual objectives that the individuals can pursue. So it all aligns together just by virtue of the structure you've created, and you can hold people accountable to those. And hopefully get that passion and drive out of them because they're doing something and rowing in the direction that they actually want to be rowing in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's people, you know, that's... Uh, kind of the politics, if I can say that, of how you navigate the change management initiative, understanding where people are coming from, what they need, what's holding them back, and then finding a way to get everyone to work together and collaborate and be on the same page. And some of that is more of an art than science. And where do you, and you, you had touched on that real fast on there, because I could hear in between the lines, but where do things go wrong along the way? Where do organizations just do colossal or small mistakes? Oh, Stacy, where do things not go wrong? <laughs> There's so many opportunities for things to go wrong. But I would say people, and we talked a lot about people, that's a big area where things go wrong. You hire the wrong people, but you just need someone fast. You're not getting someone who's passionate enough. You're not developing your people. You know, There's an infamous um, conversation between a CEO and a CMO. And the CEO says, you know, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And the CMO says, what if we don't and they stay? You know, and that's how we need to think about people and investing in people. Uh, your whole team, your whole organization, your whole company is built around people. Marketing is about people. And so it's so important that we understand our people and empower them and equip them and that we do the same for our customers. Uh, the other area that goes wrong is if you ignore your process. You know, I like to say that performance, the formula for performance is people times process equals performance. You know, so if you have great people, but no process, you're still not going to have great performance. You need both. You need really skilled people you're developing and you need rock solid process. But lastly, in terms of alignment, you know, where it goes wrong, ego, frankly, there's a lot of big egos, especially at the top. And, you know, people think I should own this or my way is the, high, is the right way. You know, um, ego is the biggest barrier to aligning teams. And you have to break that down. You have to realize we're all on the same team. We all have the same mission. We all want to go in the same direction. So let's do that together. And internally at a company, typically where, when you are working with your team members, if you're not used to having an environment that is educational and that is improving, like how are you going to break this to them? Because I have a feeling a lot of companies are like, guess what, guys, we're going to invest in you. Good. It's awesome. You're going to get so much more, you know, insights and information. You're going to be enlightened. Oh, and you're going to have to do some work along the way to get there. That goes over real well sometimes, I bet. You're, you're absolutely right. Again, however, uh, I've found, fortunately, uh, with the right companies, with the right culture, they are excited. They, all, they do embrace it. 
But there's always some people at least, or some segment of people who are, you know, uh, lethargic for lack of a better word and, and resistant to change. You know, they've been there for again, 10, 15 years. And yeah, we've heard this before, you know, nothing's going to change. You know, we got the pessimists of the group of which I can relate. I'm, I'm definitely a pessimist. I like to tell people I'm uh, a pessimist uh, and a cynic. And so it's a, <laughs> a magic combination, uh, but there's always people like that who are resistant. But what I found is that once you get the wheels turning, once the company and the culture has been bought into that, change begins to happen. And once change begins to happen, it's hard to stop change. So to your point, the hardest part is getting that boulder you know, to start moving. But once it starts rolling, you know, people see the improvements that are happening. They get excited about uh, the support that they're getting from the team. They're empowered and equipped with the process that's been created, that there's more consistency and better collaboration. And so that once that ball gets rolling, it's very hard to stop it. And it just snowballs and gets bigger and bigger. So the first step, pushing that ball up the hill is the hardest. But after that, it gets a lot easier. And then what else do you counsel your teams that you work with? And what other areas do you kind of dive in and say, okay, let's get this going, guys? There's two areas. One is operations, which we've been talking a lot about. The other is optimization, which is absolutely massive. And I'll, and I'll tell your listeners today, there are only, in my opinion, two things that matter in marketing, testing and optimization. And I don't care what you're doing. If you're building a brand, you need to test that with the market and then optimize it and change your messaging and change your visual identity. Mm -hmm. Nothing is static. Nobody knows what is working. No one knows what will work. I don't know. You don't know. Your agency doesn't know. And if you accept that premise that marketing changes constantly, culture and customers change constantly, no one knows what will work, then the only logical response is that we have to test, we have to experiment, and we have to optimize. And so when you're looking at testing inside of an organization, you know, what are the parameters you usually put in place versus a, okay, let's stop everything and all things to this new bright, shiny object? Always. It's a great question. And a lot of people want to do that. They want to over-index on, let's test everything. But testing is, is hard. It takes capacity. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes patience to wait for the test to be statistically significant. So yes, you have to set aside a little bit of time and resources to test. And typically, a, a rule of thumb is 20%. So 20% of your time, your efforts, your budget should be allocated towards testing things, whether that's you know, creative or emails or Facebook ads or um, a new partner, a new channel, whatever it is, but set aside 10%, 20% if you can uh, towards testing and start with that. And, and also just start, uh, you know, a lot of people get paralyzed when it comes to testing about, well, what should we test? Or is this the right thing to test? Is there something better to test? It doesn't matter. Again, just get started. Just test something that's better than doing nothing. And once you understand the process and, and enjoy it, then you and your team will want to do it a lot more. And I love that actually that you just said, you know, put 20% of your budget to testing. I can think of so many advertisers and marketers out there who are either resistant to testing. They're like, oh, my budget's already done, you know? And I'm always like, why don't you have just a little slush fund that you can try yes. things that come up, do something at the last minute, the next best thing that you're not gonna be able to plan a year out for. Like marketers in general, advertisers in general, companies in general do not think that way. They really don't. And they need to, you're absolutely right. And, and this is the reality is if it's true that we don't know what will work, then 20% is a minimum here. You know, ideally, you should be setting aside 60% towards testing to find out what works because 40% then can be spent on capitalizing for the short term, the short lifespan that that has 
of working because mm-hmm. it's going to keep changing. It's a moving target. So really uh, maximizing your time and resources on testing is paramount and it has the highest ROI ever. Uh, nothing that works today will work tomorrow. And also you don't know what will work tomorrow. So it's, it's so important that we're testing. No, because there'll be a new social platform, a new this, a new that, Absolutely. something else, always. Always. And that's the fun of it, but it's also the challenge of it. And we have to live in that middle ground. Tim, how can our listeners learn more about you and find you? Where should they go? I'm a connector. So LinkedIn is the best place. I'd love to connect with all of you. You can follow me on LinkedIn. We can connect and chat. Uh, I do LinkedIn Lives every Thursday. Uh, So LinkedIn, look me up, Tim Parkin. That's parking without the G. (laughs) And Tim, can you share some last parting words of advice with our listeners today? Anything that we didn't touch on that you think that they should really keep in mind? I'll tell you two things that I think are really important that I've learned over the years. Uh, the first is no one knows what they're doing. And I'm saying that in soft language. I would swear if, if that's acceptable. No one knows. No, it's, I think nobody it's knows. No yeah, one nobody knows. has any idea. And as I said, that's, that's reasonable because yeah. you know, we shouldn't know. We're all figuring this out because it keeps changing. Um, but embrace that. Understand that. And don't take any expert online or anybody in your company or your boss. Don't take their word for it. Uh, look at the data. Try something new. Test something. You never know what will happen. And the second thing, which is related to that is be bold and be brave. You know, uh, marketing is about making noise. And if you're not making noise, if you're not making a dent in the universe, then what are you here for? So be bold and be brave. Well, Tim, I love that. Be bold, be brave. That's excellent advice to leave on this parting note. Thank you. Thanks, Stacey. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to all the things that you can do within your organization today, not tomorrow with Tim. I think that he provided us a lot of guidance and insights that are definitely actionable. And if nothing else, get that test budget ready, right? Do something along those lines. But for everyone, I look forward to chatting with you this next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Have a great one.